So anyway, um, <clears throat> so it's been a quiet couple weeks in our country. Yeah, it has been nice. I've just been. Yeah, Facebook's been quiet. The one thing I am thankful in that is that I became quiet to Facebook, so I've missed a lot. And I feel so much better. It's been nap time in my world. But what I, I, what I do want to do today, and I don't wade into these topics all that often. I have, I have um, for years not wanted to make this position be a mouthpiece for politics and political views and that type of stuff. That's just not my heart. I, I would rather spend five minutes pushing the kingdom forward than an hour going into some political diatribe. But this, this issue of abortion um, has been central in the church since 1973 to the present. And it's been used in a lot of different ways to manipulate people into certain directions. Um, I, you know, for as far as I'm concerned, life is life. So I'm pro-life. The problem I have is whether I say I'm pro-life or I say I'm pro-choice, what I've first, all, what I've already done in either of those two statements is I've taken with a very broad brush and painted a whole category of people. And I despise labels, but I'm guilty of labels. And in the, so as I start into this, I believe in life, I believe in the sanctity of life, but I want us to explore, at least think about some things um, as we, uh, this morning. Um, and first, part of this comes out of um, an article that I had read over the last couple days. And so our president said after the Supreme Court's ruling, the consequences and consensus of the American people core principles of equality, liberty, dignity, and stability of the rule of law demand that Roe should not be overturned, said Biden on June the 24th. <clears throat> he continues, with this decision, the conservative majority of the Supreme Court shows how extreme it is, how far removed they are from the majority of this country. They have made the United States an outlier among developed nations in the world. But this decision must not be the final word. So actually, in the first piece of that, President Biden got it right when he said that, um, um, oh, I lost my note. Anyway, well, OK, forget about that. I'll come back to when he got the piece he got right. The, the main point is, He's, he made this comment that now the United States, with Roe v. Wade being reversed, that we are now the outlier or the anomaly or the odd person out in the rest of the civilized world when it comes to abortion. <clears throat> and, and, is, um, um, and of course, we know that the, the law that was brought before the Mississippi court 
Miss, the state of Mississippi was saying that abortion was possible up to 15 weeks. And after 15 weeks, then it was not possible. If you listen to the media, they say that Roe v. Wade has been turned, has been, you know, uh, rescinded, and now abortion is illegal in the United States. Abortion is not illegal in the United States. States that have laws that say abortion is legal, nothing has changed there. What did change is states that wanted to place limits on abortion, like Mississippi, and say, not nine months. If you're going to make up your mind, make up your mind in 15 weeks. And if up to 15 weeks, you can abort the child. So abortion has not been removed. I also was, have been somewhat concerned over these days is that we've, we, when I say, anytime I say we, I'm speaking about the church. We've lapsed back into military terminology again as if this war that we've been waging since 1973, we finally have victory. We don't have a victory because that war was not the war that we're waging. The war that we're waging is for the heart and the soul of a person that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that their heart would change and their decision-making processes would change. Yeah. Not that they come under a law that confines them Amen. past what it is they want yep. to do, even if I disagree with what they're wanting to do. All right. So anyway, back to this that we're now an outlier. So out of the 50 European nations, 47 limit elective abortions prior to 15 weeks, according to the Charlotte Lozier Institute. All these stats are from that institute. Five countries, including Belgium and German, Germany, limit elective abortions to 14 weeks. 27 nations, including France, Norway, Denmark, limit elective abortions to 12 weeks. Eight European nations, including Finland and Britain, do not allow elective abortions except for some specific socioeconomic or medical reason. The study also notes that not a single European nation allows elective abortions during all nine months of pregnancy. This is the contradiction to the American states like New York, California, Maryland, and Massachusetts, which do. Moreover, the Supreme Court majority clearly states that the U.S. Constitution makes no reference to abortion, due to which such a right is not implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. So if you had taken the time or take the time to read Justice Alito's writing for the majority, that's basically what he's saying. I was alive in 1973. Believe it or not, I know I don't look that old. Um, but I was alive in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed. At that time, the Supreme Court was the Warren Court. Judge Earl Warren was the head of the Supreme Court at that time. His court had been known through the 60s as a, um, and the word just went right out of my head. That's because I'm still young as an activist court. 
being an activist court, what they were saying and what had been what lower courts and lower cases were working towards was the Supreme Court had said, if you bring a case before us that's in something that we want to look at, even if the case isn't substantial and even if the argument is not well written, don't worry, we'll fix it. Because what we need is something to bring before the court and then we can work it through the court and we can arrive at the conclusion that we want to arrive at, which was why we wanted that to come before the court. So there was many things that Warren Court did. The, the premier one was Roe v. Wade. Now, what the court said at the time was that it's, they, they said in the Constitution, it is a guaranteed inalienable right that a woman has a right to abortion under any circumstances. It's totally her choice at any time. And that the federal government is the one that guarantees that right because it's now a constitutional right. What they did, which never should have been done, and which is Alito and the majority writing for the court in this case, which they came back with, which for me, I totally agree with, it was always a state's rights issue. It was never a federal rights issue. And, and when they took it out of the state's rights and they made it a federal right, it set up a conflict that's been going on from 1973 to the, to the present. So the second thing that ties into this is this idea of right. I have a, you know, it's right to life. It's right to abortion. I have a right. Well, if, if, if I have a right and you have a right and we both believe we're absolutely right about our right, this is all we can ever do because I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. And we'll keep doing this until blood is coming out of our knuckles. And all we're insisting is, I'm right. The, the main reason I despise labels at any level is the minute I put a label on you, I don't have to look at your face. You're now no longer a person to me. You're just the pawn in the argument. And if I need to destroy you, I destroy you, but at the very least, you're invisible to me. Being right is all that matters. So we started, you know, so now terminology in 1973, terminology changed. All of a sudden, it's a woman's right to an abortion. It's the baby's right to live. So we pitted those two things against each other, even though we've acted contrary to that argument in application. And that was, what, uh, that's, that was what President Biden actually got right um, when, he, when he said you know, that, he, he, that the removal of this constitutional right was not what should have happened. When he phrased it as a constitutional right, that's what did need to change. Um, so a little bit, if we're going to, we are a constitutional nation. We are a nation that abides by the rule of law. I get 
The rule of law is messy. The rule of law is imperfect. The law, rule of law does not always provide um, justice. But live someplace where there is no rule of law and see what society looks like. You know, the Wild West. You know, so the rule of law is important for us as, as a society to be able to function. So let me, let me take uh, the, we'll start with the right to life first. You know, to be consistent with every, every child has the right to life, to be consistent with that, then at, at the core, I have to be a pacifist in every piece of my life. Because I'm saying that the ending of a life can never happen under any circumstances for any reason. But we don't live that way. You know, most of us, even, you know, if, if uh, 11, 12-year-old girl was raped and became pregnant, most people would not stand and say, no, she needs to carry that baby to term and give birth. Most people would find some place where, like, you know, under, under certain circumstances, the ending of a life does enter into the discussion. If it was a place where the life of the mother and the baby and only one's going to make it, what do we choose? Is this going to be the, the life of the mother or are we going to choose the life of the child? There are, in my view, and I know for the purists, this, this, these are not allowed to be brought into discussion. But there are circumstances where the ending of a life is necessary to save a life. And even in the laws that have been around, the law recognized that in most cases. Now, that can get stretched. That can be massaged. That can be brought into. You know, so, you know, that's just the excuse and nobody asks any questions. Yes, just go ahead. You're fine. You can have an abortion. Um, you know, the other piece is, so the sovereignty over one's body. So on right to life, there, there are rights. There is this place where we want the child to live, but there are circumstances and those are minor, percentage-wise, those are minor circumstances. They're not the majority. And the problem with the arguments are we make 2% seem like 98%. That's not true in virtually every argument that's going on in, pop, in society right now. We, take, we do take the outliers and make them the central. Instead of going, now wait a minute, okay, there is this over here and there is this over here. We see both of those, but the majority falls right here in the center. So how do we live? How do we live here? The other thing I want to point out, I should say, uh, I'm not trying to create heartburn for you. Um, we live in a society Society passes laws, makes rules how that society is going to operate. I may agree with those laws. I may disagree with those laws. I, on the other hand, am a Christian. 
and I stand over here in the kingdom, and the law of love that I live by oftentimes is contrary to the law of the land. But I have to choose the law of love over the law of the land, even if that puts me in conflict and maybe even in peril with the country that I live in. In the US, we've grown, all of us have lived in a, in a civil society where some of us have experienced injustice more than others. But we've all worked as a, as a society and dealt with those injustices. So, so on this piece, what I'm talking about right here, I'm going to come back to living in the kingdom. But right here, this is just living in the land. I live in America. If I move to another country, I'm going to live under the laws of that country, where they'll either put me in jail or kick me out, one or the other. right? So, you know, one's right to their own body. Well, yeah, we have, we have sovereignty over our body. You know, I can, if I go to the doctor and he says, I don't know, your arm looks pretty bad, I think I ought to cut it off. I can go, nope, don't think so. It doesn't look great, but I think I'm going to keep it. I'll go see somebody else. So I have the right to do that. But on another day, if I just walk into the emergency room and they go, well, what are you here for? I want you to cut my right arm off. They're all going to go, uh, no, no. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to cut it off. No, I want to take it off. Just cut it off. I don't want it. This right arm has caused me more problems than you've got to, you don't even know. If I don't have my right arm, life is going to be better. Cut it off. Nobody's going to cut my, my right arm off. Even though it's part of my body, there's a certain place where my sovereignty of my body ends. Right? Yeah. And most of us would go, well, that's thankful, because hopefully you'd bump your head again and come back to your senses on Tuesday. But, you know, maybe not. So there, we have rights. And then there's places where what I want, they're not going to give me. Now, even that's getting fuzzy right now in this country. But that's, as, a, as a rule, that's the way it's been. So the idea that so, so a woman has an absolute right to do whatever she wants to do to the child that she's carrying. And nobody has any, can say anything about it. The problem with that is. It's not exactly her body. It's in her body. It's receiving life from her body. But it's not a skin blemish. It's not a tumor. Although, again, language is changing. Now babies are, the language is trying to push it. So babies are just parasites that somehow get inside of you. And they've got to be eradicated. Words are important. Words are important. And what sounds like a bizarre statement today, give it two years, and it's, it become, it's the norm in the conversation. And after a while, we're all wondering, how in the world did we get down this road? We got there one word at a time. That's how we got there. So, um, so the idea that the, for a woman, does she have, you know, 
Just to say I have the right over my own body is missing the right that you actually do have. It's not the whole picture because, as I said, it's not only your body. What we also know is that for women that have had abortions, oftentimes there's emotional things that come after the abortion because it, it isn't just getting a tumor taken out. If you get a tumor removed, there's just relief. Tumor's gone. But how many people, even through Sozo, how many women have we over the years dealt with here who are dealing with a post-abortion trauma and we've helped them work through it? It's not just a tumor. There's something much deeper than that that's going on. Again, so it's, it's not an inalienable right, in my opinion. So that's kind of where we are as far as the Supreme Court is concerned. It's, you know, that's where we are as far as language is concerned. So we're watching the country make some decisions. Again, what I think is coming out of this, I just, I just actually saw this this morning. Um, I can't remember where the, where the clinic is now, but an abortion clinic in one state is moving to another state where abortion is uh, much more liberal in what they can do. Because um, they said, we're going to go out of business. Except in the state that they're in, the state doesn't outlaw abortion. It has a 15-week period. Make up your mind in 15 weeks. So the law, Roe v, what the Supreme Court just said, did not put you out of business. You can still be in business as long as you're within the restrictions that the state has put. Well, we don't want to do that, so we're going to move to this state. Now, in Delaware, um, the, especially since the Supreme Court moved, Delaware had it already moving, but you know, Delaware, the intent in this state is that we are going to be a nine-month abortion state. No, you don't have to have a reason other than, I don't want this. OK, no problem. Delaware follows New York's lead. Of course, New York has brought it to the point that even after birth, there's circumstances where the baby can be killed. So Delaware will do that. I mean, that's the state that we live in. So you go, well, that's terrible. What do we do? Well, you vote. That's, I mean, that's the option we have. And that brings me to the, to, this, to the point where the conflict that I live with, the conflict that you live with, is am I in the world and I just see things the way the world sees them and I just go with the flow because that's what the world does? Or am I of the kingdom and I, and I have to go by the rule of, lo of love? And so now we're, gonna ha we're navigating this. Right? So I'm a US citizen. I, I, and I found this, if I sound disjointed, which I'm sure that I do, um, I'm still trying to process a lot of this. And so thank you um, for even staying. Uh, as, um, so as a follower of Christ, the, the law of love is, gonna, is irrespective to the law of the land. 
And somehow I have to function, you have to function as a follower of Jesus, loving people and making sure people are seeing the love of God regardless of what decisions they're making. It can be a bad decision. It can be a horrible decision. It can be a life and death decision. But for the woman that, for whatever reason, made the decision and went through with the abortion, I still have to meet her and I still need to see her face. She's still a human being. I have to somehow, in the law of love, love her beyond something that I personally feel was a bad decision. But we do that on a regular basis with a lot of things. It's not just this one. Or we should be doing it, I'll put it that way. The thing is, abortion is about many faces. It's not about words. We, we can say it in words so we, we move it out of the human experience. Abortion is in the center of human experience. Abortion is the face of the mother. It's the face of the father. It's the face of the baby. It's the face of extended family. There's a lot of faces involved in every abortion. And we're, we are supposed to be loving people and moving beyond words. And so how do I position my heart to do that and to see the person and not make them invisible by the words that I choose? And I mean, that's not always easy. Little history. So, as I said, I was around in 1973. I remember Roe v. Wade. I can tell you, as a um, whatever I was, 15-year-old male teenager, women's lib meant no bras. The pill meant sex anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And abortion cleaned up any messes that might have been made. So for a 16-year-old male, you couldn't have been living in a better time, except it was all a lie. The liberation, in my view, did not achieve what they wanted. I think that the root of that was a noble desire. Women should be equal should not be second class. Yep, I'm down with all that. But what women's lib did was actually cheapen the value of a woman and turn her into something that she never should be. And so it didn't take her up. It brought her down. The sexual revolution, I mean, it was on TV. It was in all the movies. I mean, back then, you know, that was when, what, what uh, I don't even know what year this would have been. Uh, mid-70s, I guess. That was when the X-rated and triple X-rated movies could be shown at the movie theater. Remember when that law changed and that came out? Hot dog. We can go to the movie and get a hot dog, popcorn, and pornography. <laughs> it's great. Night out on the town, right? And then movie theaters started, you know, you'd go by and you see on the marquee three X's. That's all they had to say. And you knew. But then, you know, cable TV came along and then the internet came along and then pornography was everywhere 
And you know, one of the problems that we're dealing with now with our adolescents is the vast majority of them are learning what a sexual relationship between a man and a woman should look like from pornography, which is not what it looks like. That's totally fake. And it's dehumanizing because it totally removes the relationship of two people out of the equation and just makes physical contact and physical satisfaction the only reason we have sex, which is not true, not, not from a godly standpoint. It may be through, true you know, in the bar scene or something, but not from where we are. So I'm living through all this, you know, so I'm, you know, and ultimately I became a, a believer, thank you, Jesus, who he just looked at me and said, boy, you just need to come home because you ain't doing good where you're at. And for some reason, I had just a moment of clarity, and I went, yes, not knowing that a simple yes would take me the rest of my life. But yeses in the kingdom are much bigger than yeses in the world. I can tell you that. I can tell you that. So moving up, you know, get involved in the church and so forth. And then I really got involved in, in the pro-life, what was happening in Delaware in pro-life, the Delaware um, Coalition for Life. I got involved with that. I was Sussex County director. And, you know, when I was thinking through this and I look back now, okay, so another, another historical point is the first Sunday that we had church service here after we bought the building, we had a guest speaker. His name was Randall Terry, if anybody remembers that name. Some are probably going, I have no idea. Good. That's, that's right. Randall Terry was a guy that had rose up in the Right to Life group, the pro-life group, and he was the one that started protesting in front of abortion clinics was training people how to go in and shut abortion clinics down, how to crawl in, how to do this, how to do that, but how to picket abortion clinics, how to go to the doctor's homes that were the abortionists and picket their homes. And then I'm not blaming the rest of this on Randall, but I think at the time he agreed with it at least. We went through a period where abortion clinics were being bombed where abortion doctors were being killed, where homes were being destroyed, you know, and we, we get upset right now by what we're seeing in the news. We taught them those tactics. They came from us. Because we had the moral high ground, we were the ones that, you know, babies are dying, we have to do whatever we can to stop babies from dying. Babies were dying, and we did need to do things. But as I said a couple weeks ago, the minute you take violence and use it to stop violence, you're no better than the violence that you're going after. And the church diminished its authority, and we chose violence over love. At the same time, there were others. The, the, the crisis pregnancy centers began to rise up where girls could go or women could go, and there was a chance we could, they could be talked to, they, they could be helped. There was 
help them through. You know, if you keep the baby, this, this, and this can happen. So there was, and across the country right now, there, there's a large network of crisis pregnancy centers. Many are being targeted right now and burnt and vandalized and so forth. But needless to say, they're there. They've been doing what I believe is the proper response to the issue. We have a solution. My solution is not to call you a name and, and go after you. My solution is we have a problem. We have a girl. She's pregnant. Her whole life has just changed. Can I see her face or do I only give her a label? She's scared and she's not sure what to do. Do I see her face or do I just give her a label? Life got real complicated over something that seemed somewhat innocent. Do I see her face or do I give her a label? We, the church, we're the only ones that can see their face. Because God's looking at their face. God's with them in the middle of that crisis. And he's for both the baby and the mom. I can tell you in heaven there is not pro-life, pro-choice beating their muscles against each other. There's a creator who has created all life, but also sees that all life that's being created has to deal with the human circumstances. This is the human crisis that we all live in. And it isn't all black or white. It isn't all every decision. It's just a clean decision here. It's a clean decision there. It's not. Not if you're looking at a face. Not if you're listening to the heart of the person. Few decisions are that clean. Most decisions we all work through, they're dirty. And they're not easy to solve. And some things, even after the, the, you've come up with a solution, even that solution isn't the perfect solution, but it is better than the inaction, or it is better than other solutions that have been offered, but it's not perfect either. So for me, I guess, as I'm listening through this, what, what I'm I'm not listening to any of it, actually, but what I'm reading, articles that I'm reading, I'm, I'm just at this place where, as the church, it's our responsibility as Christ imagers to find out how to meet the people where they are and to release the kingdom and to be a resource. And I think to get behind crisis pregnancy centers is a great thing to do. Get, you know, the, the other piece that's made it more difficult was in years past, um, you know, there were many orphanages. So a girl could, you know, as like in my mom's generation, you know, well, where's Betty at? Well, she went to live with her aunt. So everybody in town knew that Betty got pregnant. And, but nobody would say it. She's just living with her aunt. But, you know, nine months go by or 10 months go by, Betty comes back home. And again, nobody talks about it outwardly. I mean, we all talk about it behind her back because it's what we do, but um, we all know. And then the baby is, you know, would, would have gone to an orphanage. And 
Current laws in our land have made it almost impossible to operate orphanages. Um, you know, when Kevin and Angel adopted Layla, it cost them over $12,000 to adopt a baby. That's insane. That's insane. Why does it cost that much money? And most of that went to government agencies to do investigations. That's crazy. If a child is valuable, okay, I, I get the home should be investigated. I, I'm totally down with all that. $12,000? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in this, and in Kevin and Angel's case, you know, they had connected with the birth mother beforehand and, and all that. Um, so between the, the state and the lawyers, everybody got their cut, you know. Thankfully for Kevin Angel, it worked out well, and Layla's an incredible young lady that's growing up in a great home, and it's going to be an amazing person. But there has to be the place. And, and you know, sometimes the charge gets made, oh, well, you, you, know, you pro-lifers, you just care about the baby not being aborted, but you don't really care about the mom. You don't really care about the baby. That's a straw man argument to a point. But it's not totally unfounded. What are we doing? I get aggravated when I, because I mean, we, the church was doing things, especially the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church historically has been the forerunner in, in all of this and had orphanages all over the place. And it was just common practice. I mean, a lot of churches ran orphanages. And the government, through regulations, has just been cutting it down, cutting it down, cutting it down. And, but that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to love the people that are dealing with the conflict to do the best we can with them in the conflict, and still continuing to love them regardless of decisions that they make. And by all means, that we don't stop seeing their faces. We don't stop hearing their stories. And we don't try to minimize the conflict that they're dealing with. I mean, actually listen. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what is happening. Um, so, we're, so where we're at right now, this, this thing that's been unleashed this week, it's, it's fracturing even further a nation that was already greatly fractured. So you're going to have people that support abortion or abortion under any circumstances are already starting to migrate to the states that that's how the state does it. And you have others who believe in life that you know, don't take that tack, and they're going to move and are moving to states that have limited abortion. I actually think that's the way the Constitution of the United States is supposed to function. If I don't like living in Delaware, I should be free to move to another state if that's a state that's the way I like. Um, I'm not overly optimistic about where Delaware is and where it's going. I think we're just we're we're tracking in a very progressive track and probably will continue to do that. But regardless, I am a person of the kingdom. 
and the kingdom of God is expanding. The kingdom of God is moving forward. The kingdom of God is touching people, and it's supposed to be doing that through me. And if I get caught up in a verbal war of this, where everything is about rights, everything is about rights, then nothing ever gets fixed. You know, it's, it can't, everything can't be about me. There's just some things in life that I'm going to have to lay down my life, maybe not physically, but I'm going to have to lay down my life. I'm going to have to lay down my desires. Is this what I would elect to do if I had it, could do it differently? No. But this is what I'm going to do because it's the best thing to do for the people around me. You know? And... Um, I, I just think for us as the church, we should not get in a place where, where we rejoice over the law of land changing as if it's a, a victory that's been won and we only see it from that political term instead of realizing this is about people and this, this change, it affects people. It's affecting people every day. And we have, to, we have to be engaged. But I'm going to be engaged not through the political arm. I'm going to be engaged through the kingdom. Because the law of love says, I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to you know, give to those that asked. I'm going to, you know, if somebody strikes me on one side, I'm going to turn the other side. And I'm, I'm going to choose to love people regardless of what the law of the land says one way or the other. And probably if today the Supreme Court overturns another ruling and says, from now on, all people are required to love all people or you'll be thrown in jail. We would all go, well, that's ridiculous. You know, because the law isn't going to make me love you. But his grace his relationship will lead me to love you regardless. And that's, that's somehow we got to get there. Um, so thanks for putting up, putting up with my ramblings today. But um, we, we, we yeah. Amen. I'm down for it. So, if you want to step into Diane's word, come. Let's just 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 do that. If you need specific prayer for something, by all means, come up, and we we will pray for you specifically on anything. But let's just ask the Lord what what is what is my response? What is my response? I can't be the one that brings more criticism on the woman that chose an abortion and go after her to dehumanize her. But the life of the baby is extremely important and should not be 
just done away with because it's inconvenient. And anybody, if you got something you want to exhort or whatever.